Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your go-to resource for all things pipeline and revenue production in the tech sales world. Technology marketing, sales development, sales, and revenue operations have combined to create the go-to market engine fueling the success of SaaS startups and established companies alike. Each week, the Sales Development Podcast dives deeply into the strategies, tactics, people, processes, and technology that fuels the revenue machine. The Sales Development Podcast is brought to you by Tenbound. Get more free resources, insights, and intelligence today at tenbound.com. And be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. Here with me today is broadcasting extraordinaire Nick Capozzi. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm good, Mr. Delaney. How are you? Among other things, head of storytelling at DemoStack. Dude, this is awesome. I mean, you have such an interesting background and you've done a lot of things that I think will be very, you know, interesting and impressive to the audience. So tell me about yourself and what you're doing over at DemoStack. Absolutely. So I'm the head of storytelling over at DemoStack. So what does that mean? I think the best way to describe it is like a marketing evangelist role. So I do a lot of content. I do a lot of live events and I do a lot of virtual events, so webinars and stuff like that. But I focus, you know, we deal a lot with sales engineers, but what I talk about typically focuses more on the entire sales cycle. So from, you know, picking up the phone and dialing all the way to getting the pen to paper on the contract. Okay, cool. And then demo stack, you gave me a little background, but what are they doing? So what we do is we clone the front end of your product without touching the back end data. And I think it's interesting because, you know, people want to see product very quickly today. And then I think that's a fair request of buyers. We make them jump through all these hoops. So there's always this sales engineer who's kind of prepping these demos and filling it with backend data because you can't actually show me 10 bound, right? Because you've got your client's private data in there. So we kind of circumvent all of that and allow you to clone your product and then fill it almost like a Wix or a Squarespace where you can drop in all the information data you want. So anyone on your team from an SDR down all the way to, you know, someone in the C-suite could quickly tailor a custom demo environment based on the persona. You could do that. It's so much more useful and relevant to the person that you're talking to. Well, it's so key, right? I mean, everything is about personas. Why am I presenting it like I would to a CMO if I'm talking to a CFO, right? Yeah, exactly. And how did you get into this? I mean, this is like you come from a radio and TV background. So tell me, you know, how did you get into that? And then, you know, start doing this? Yeah. So it's a long, strange trip, I think is the best way to describe it. <laughs> so I, I knew as a kid, two things growing up in Montreal, Canada, one was I wasn't going to do winter. I remember that as a child. Okay. The other was I wanted to work in radio. So everything I did was to get me to this program at Humber College in Toronto. I went in, studied radio, which was basically two years of learning how to ad lib. Right? That's what we did for two years. And then from there, I worked in radio in Toronto, flipped to TV once I realized there was no money in radio. So I got into TV where all my friends were working from college. It was booming in Toronto back then in the mid 90s. And then one day I was at this party and someone said to me, these two guys were visiting Toronto from Miami and they said, hey, can you do that radio thing on a stage? And I'm like, yes, I can. Next thing I knew, I stepped onto a cruise ship in Miami and I spent about a decade on a stage in front of about 500 people at a time presenting product. So high-end, duty-free. Duty-free, you think like liquor and Toblerone bars. It's really Swiss watches and jewelry. 
And it was a huge thing in the Caribbean off these cruise ships. So our enterprise territory was Caribbean in the winter, Alaska in the summer. So those were kind of my existences. And it was a lot of fun. It moved to a training role, trained over 800 people, how to be public speakers and presenters on a stage, moved shoreside, became a VP, worked with companies like Disney and Royal Caribbean. And then about three years ago, I got out right before COVID, wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I just started posting content on LinkedIn. Didn't have a plan. Wasn't trying to get into tech. But just started posting content about what I knew, presentation skills, being engaging, talking with tempo and pace and when to pause. And it just became a groundswell, started sitting in on demos. I started having sales leaders say, can you sit in on demos? Built a consultancy. And then about nine months ago, I said, this has been fun, but I want to do what I did in Cruise, which is more events, partnerships wrapped up in content. What does that look like? And DemoStack was on my calendar like 15 minutes after I posted that on LinkedIn. And here I am now as the head of storage. Amazing. Okay. So I got a bunch of questions for you. So how do you get 500 people into a room to talk about the duty-free watches? Well, that's a great question. And I'm I'm glad you asked that because people didn't want to be there, right? So imagine, I mean, you're in California, but imagine you're coming from New York or Minnesota in the winter, Mm. right? In January, you fly into Miami, you get on the cruise ship, you're blown away by the hardware. The ships are so amazing. Like it's shocking, like actually how they're put together. And you're thinking about the sun and the beaches and your shore excursions. And if you are thinking about revenue departments, it's the sexy ones, the spa and the casino. No one's thinking about coming to a presentation on duty-free shopping. It may as well have been a timeshare presentation. That was, you know, by all appearances, what it would have looked like. So I did two things to get a lot of people to the event. One was I was using content in 2000 to drive traffic. So if you cruised in 2000 on a Royal Caribbean ship, you had CNN, ESPN Deportes in Spanish, and you had this channel of sizzle reels from these brands like Tag Heuer and Breitling that were you know, being promoted in the duty-free channel. Well, I took that channel over and I'm like, well, let me get people excited about duty-free shopping. Explain what it is, get them excited. And I was trying to get them to you know, the dark theater on the first sea day at noon at lunchtime when the buffet is just opening up. So the TV definitely worked. There's no question that content and using video is incredibly impactful. But the other thing I did which I think is interesting today because I didn't realize I was giving value, but the messiest place on a cruise ship on embarkation day when everyone gets on the ship is guest services because everyone's got a problem or a question and you've got the whole hotel there, hotel director down, and they don't want to be there. They don't want to deal with the dad with the screaming kids. So I didn't need to be there as a seller, but I would go and I would work the line. And what I would say is, hey, I'm not guest services, but can I just ask what your question is to make sure you're in the right line? Because I realized very quickly, David, most people were in the wrong line, at least half. So I would say, oh, okay, you are in the right line. They'll get to you soon. Or I would say, actually, you're not in the right line. There's 200 people in this line. See the line with two people? That's where you want to be. And they would be like, oh, my gosh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for answering that question that I didn't even know I had. (laughs) And they would look at my name badge. And then they they would come to my presentation and they would come with 10 friends because they're like, I met this great guy, Nick, who was super helpful. He got me excited about duty-free shopping, which was a 10 second little you know hit I would give them. Because even then I didn't want to be aggressive with, come to my talk. I was like, hey, no, it's a great presentation. There's a lot of interesting things to shop for. We're going to some really unique islands. What do you buy in Jamaica? We'll tell you tomorrow at noon in the theater. Okay. And, and doing that, I would get between those two channels, I would get about five times 
what the average person who did my job did attendance wise. And that was a direct reflection to the amount of sales I would have, right? Every person in the audience had a dollar value. So the more people I got into that presentation, the more likely I was to do well that week. Okay. And so their guard is up, right? I mean, when they're coming on the cruise ship, like you said, they're thinking about the benefits of why they came to the cruise ship. And if somebody comes up to them, you know, did you get the feeling the guard was up a little bit? So the guard would be up if I went and started opening up conversations and I'm like, oh, we're doing a duty-free talk tomorrow. I got very good quickly though of, you know, saying, oh, welcome aboard. Where are you visiting from? What are you celebrating? What are you celebrating was the luxury duty-free equivalent of a discovery question. Okay. But for the most part, I wanted it inbound. I wanted people pulled towards me. Right. And I just, as one person, there was 4,000 guests on that Royal Caribbean ship. I couldn't talk to each one. I couldn't talk to 10%. I could maybe talk to one half of 1%, have a good conversation to get them interested. So I had to scale it and I scaled it with, again, the video and then just, you know, those 30 second conversations in that line. But I'd spend four hours working that line, but I would pull hundreds and hundreds of people out of that line to the presentation the next day. Okay. And then there was this TV channel that you actually were able to kind of take over. And what was your thought process there? Well, I thought these sizzle reels are boring, right? I mean, it's a 15 or 20 second thing showing off a watch, but the watch is like, are you really buying the watch or are you buying the experience? right? What's the memorable thing from this vacation that you're going to walk away from? Or what are you celebrating was, oh, my daughter just graduated college. Great. Is she ready for her first Swiss watch? And I will also give context that, especially in 2000, your ICP was everyone on a cruise ship because they all had money, right? At least to what we were selling. What we had to do was basically explain the area because people aren't thinking duty-free or they didn't understand what duty-free actually meant. So I would have to talk to them like they were fourth graders. So here's what duty is, right? And I think, you know, there was also their guard, I I would say was three quarters up, but there was that quarter that was open because they're on vacation. Maybe they have a couple drinks in them. So very different than a B2B type sales process, or at least starting the conversation. But again, I'm fighting the spa in the casino. That's where the wife wanted to go, right? To now get the husband who's now thinking about a watch to get him to come to my presentation. You know, often the couples would split up. He would come to my presentation while she was at the spa. Then he would get her excited. They'd come back to my desk later, have a conversation. And now he's getting a watch. She wants something, right? So he's going to spend five or $10,000 on a watch. She's going to want to spend it. Then that's what would happen. And then these sales would build and build and build. Yeah, that We'd is We'd have whole crazy. families sometimes, David. We would have whole families come in. And then what would happen, it was really interesting. I'm getting down rabbit holes here, but you'd have, you know, if two sisters were shopping together, one would spend 10,000 and the other one would look at her husband and say, well, I need to spend more than that. And can we spend 15,000? So (laughs) (laughs) the the psychology of sibling rivalry was very prevalent in that situation. There's all those little nuances. And dude, this is amazing. So, and then they looked at the success that you were having and they promoted you and they said, train our whole team to do what you were doing. Is that right? Pretty much. Yeah. I started with just, they would send new hires to me to train. We had a very high churn rate in the space because you were a one person department on a cruise ship and could you survive on stage was a big problem. So they would send a lot of new people to me and I was very good at getting people calm and making them feel comfortable on a stage slash in front of a camera. 
so I became a trainer and then they started giving me regions. I would run Alaska every summer. So I live in Arizona. So it was perfect. I'd spend, you know, seven, 10 oh, days cool. a month in Alaska every summer in these beautiful locations. And, you know, I think too, the best part of this for me was 98% of people were in a good mood on a cruise ship because they were on vacation. So it was easier than, hey, I know this is a cold call, but. <laughs> oh my God. Being an SDR, sales rep and manager is tough and it's getting tougher. Creating an outbound sales pipeline is hard and getting harder every day as well. You're not given any training, coaching, or support. You're pretty much on your own to figure it out. Should you cold call, send emails, or post on social media? Your prospects are buried in messages, and now it seems harder to stand out and get a response. You try to educate yourself on how to do it, but the online landscape is a confusing swirl of contradictory messages, empty motivational speeches, and outdated sales advice. Time is running out and you're spinning your wheels. Now what? You now have a resource to really help. You now have 10Bound Plus. 10Bound Plus is your guide to building your outbound sales skills in your own time and in your own way. You join a community of like-minded people who are striving to achieve success in your same position. You get access to online, self-paced learning courses, discounts to 10Bound events, and much more. Join today at 10boundplus.com. That's 10boundplus.com. Did you have any say over the recruiting process of the team or was it just basically whoever you got? So I did eventually, but what I would do is I would pull people out of Starbucks and I would say, listen, this is really interesting. I have this very high paying commission job working on a cruise ship. They're like, I don't know how to sell. I can teach you the basics of selling. What I can teach is that natural charisma you have that I want to put on a stage or I want to put in front of a camera and I really want to tease out. And then eventually, you know, because we did have high churn, I was always concerned about, you know, our enablement and how we were developing these people. And I got into building, I built actually in the space, the first online, I forget what we used, but it was something like one of these learning e-learning platforms. And I built a video-based course to train our people before they ever got to Miami for our in-house training. They would spend weeks doing this video-based training, getting caught up on you know how to thrive at this job. And when we started doing that, our churn rates dropped dramatically. And I think too, if you're a sales leader listening to this, one thing I would always tell my sellers is don't count on me to be your, your sales trainer. Right. And I was a very good trainer and I was focused on that. But the reality is most sales leaders have a bunch of different priorities. And where does training often sounds like a nice to have when I talk to sales leaders. But if you train people really well in your system, in your process, and they get enough repetitions that you make them feel comfortable, they're more likely to have success quicker and stick around with your company. Yeah. And, you know, you look at it, the reason I ask is, is it like nature or nurture, you know, with the people? Because you basically, and not a boat analogy, but you sink or swim, right? When you're out. Absolutely. And I would ask in the interview process, are you coachable? I would ask that, are you coachable? And two, there was two types of people I was always looking for. And I would float to the top of our hiring list is ex-military or ex-division one athletes or high-end high school athletes. And the reason being, they were very coachable. They could take instruction well. I could give them three things to work on that week. And that's one thing too, when it comes to training or enablement, we're feeding people the fire hose. If here's 15 things to correct week by week, I would say, I want to see these three things in your presentation next week. I want to see these three things change. I'm going to be looking for those three things. And then next week it would be three new things. And I found for me, especially with, you know, we live in a remote world. My people were remote. They were on a cruise ship off the coast of Madagascar. 
right? Wow. So yeah, it was, I had people literally floating all over the world. So how could I get in front of them? How could I make them feel supported? And again, this is in 2000. We didn't even have WhatsApp. When WhatsApp came out, that was a big deal for us because we could, you know, with the low bandwidth, we could communicate on ship Wi-Fi where we couldn't send text messages. So that was always the biggest thing for us was developing these people to lower churn rate because of the cost associated with it. Yeah. And so you saw that coachability was a huge factor huge. in their success. And so it's funny, you said ex-military and ex-high-end athletes, because one of the guests that we've had on the show is a guy running shift group. They basically, you know, their whole recruiting process for sales development reps is high-end athletes and channeling them into, yeah, and super successful, you know, because a lot of this is coachability, it seems. I totally believe it is. I believe sales is learned skills, right? It's just, it's repetition. It's rewatching your tapes. And it's funny, you know, now I live in this world with gong and chorus and revenue. Well, we would record these presentations on VHS tapes, and then people are trying to find a FedEx Dropbox in Japan to FedEx me the tape a week later, which was why oh I would have them rewatch their own tapes and self-coach and email me those notes before I could actually see it. Right. So I think there's something too that if you are an SDR, again, I'm sure you have a great leader training you, but I wouldn't count on that. Right. I would watch my own gongs and you're thinking, well, what am I looking for if I don't know what to look for? But if you start to see, you'll start to see patterns develop. Am I repeating the same words? Can everything be amazing and exciting if everything is amazing and exciting? What are your crutch words? What are your negative words? People don't think about this, David, but. You know, if I say something negative, I immediately shut off my prospect's frontal lobe, right? It's where their reasoning is. And if I say something negative, they become, their guard goes up. And that can be something like can't or shouldn't or won't, even a maybe can be viewed as negative. So the neuroscience tells me, keep a positive. These are things you can find in your own tape. Did I ask the right question? And did I actually follow up now with the next question based on their answer? Or was I too programmed to go into showing off the next feature? Right. So I think if you have access to, you know, your recordings of your tapes, that is the best self-training you can do. Yeah. It's interesting because like the cringe, you know, is the big thing right now. <laughs> if you don't have the coachability and the, it's almost like the humility to watch yourself and learn from your own behavior without being cringe, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I've got two younger sons and their main purpose is not to be cringe. You know, they don't want anything to be like that. So you really have to have a lot of confidence, I think, and humility, you know, to be able to go back and watch your own play tape and make, you know, course corrections based on what you're seeing. But if you're listening to this, just do it, just do it. Yeah. The first time is going to feel like fingernails on a chalkboard. The second time it's 10% less awful. The next time it's 10% less awful than that. And then you'll build up a scar tissue and be more comfortable watching yourself. It's very uncomfortable. I get that. But if you get past that, that changes the whole dynamic of one, your presentation skills and everything's about engagement, David, whether you're creating content online to pull inbound, whether it's I'm writing an email or I'm using video in an email, whatever that is, demos, the more, the better you are at presenting and keeping engagement with the person listening, the more likely you are to build a champion. If you build a champion, you're going to get them excited and get better deal velocity throughout the cycle. Oh my God. Okay. Take that one to the bank. <laughs> that is such great advice. One thing I heard recently is if I think it was Marissa Meyer, 
said, if you have a choice between two activities, take whichever one is most uncomfortable and hardest, <laughs> because that's probably where the growth is. You're absolutely right. But think about how being great at presenting ideas, like would even affect your day to day, right? Like if I'm trying to get, you know, if I'm going out to dinner with a friend and I really want something in particular, right? I'm going to present my idea in a certain way, right? And what I might do is do discovery and find out what they're looking for. And then how do I position my product or my, what I want for dinner? I really want tacos tonight. I don't want Indian food, right? So how do you position that? But presentation skills will seep into everything you do internally with your internal interactions at your company and externally with your external interactions with your prospects. Yeah. I mean, and this goes back a ways, but sales sort of has a negative connotation of like a used car salesman type of connotation, but really all your communication is the sales in some way, shape or form. If you're trying to persuade or you're trying to build an audience or you're trying to get somebody to go get tacos instead, you're in if you think of how many times you're trying to persuade every day, yeah. like actually note that just in one day, whether you're in a team meeting and you really want to promote your idea, whether it's to a prospect, whether it's to get your kids to put their shoes on in an efficient amount of time, depending on how old they are. Those are all persuasive techniques. And frankly, persuasion comes, the first thing you need before persuasion is engagement. If they're not listening, if they're not paying attention, if their camera's off, if they're not focused on the words that are coming out of your mouth, you don't even have a chance to persuade them. So I always think of engage first, then present your ideas. Mm, it's such a great point. And it's the same with people running businesses and starting businesses in that the market is always telling you, you know, whether you're being successful or not with your product. And if your product is, you know, they're engaging with your product. And if like a no response at all is actually a response because there's no engagement. So what are you learning from that? Are you just trying to do the same thing over and over again? You know, exactly. And and I think that's where, you know, just inbound is important to outbound, right? It's a system and we forget about it or we'll make jokes about all marketing versus sales. But if I'm a full cycle seller, I will also want to be creating social proof and credibility online in one way, shape, or form, whether that's with content or awareness online. And then I still want to go through my motion of everything I'm doing to send out my emails, to make my phone calls. But you know, and I'll, I'll often hear, I don't have time to spend on LinkedIn, or I don't have time to make content. And the next thing I always say is, show me screen share and show me your calendar. Mm-hmm. I see 15 hours booked there, right? Well, well yeah, but then, the, but, okay. You can't put another two hours a week. You can't create two hours a week to make sure that you're going to hit your number. Okay. Then you're not serious. That's interesting. What if someone is in that position and they're trying to figure out how do I, you know, I think there's two ways to look at it. One is how do I create engagement for me, you know, so I can get some more stuff and meetings and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like the people out there, how can I be helpful you know, to them with my content in order to get some engagement happening. I think, you know, salespeople get kind of stuck there because it's like, well, what do I do? I mean, what do I post and how do I create? Great question. And especially too, if you're a new SDR, right? How do you approach that? Because what do I know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. one thing I always tell people is you only need to be one rung higher on the ladder than someone else to bring value, right? You don't need to be a subject matter expert. So when I talk to an SDR who's like, I've been in this for six weeks and I want to get involved online. How do I start posting? I say, talk about your journey. 
what did you do before? Oh, I was actually, I was a teacher and then someone told me about a spireship and I took a spireships course and now I'm an SDR. Okay. Tell me about that journey, right? What are you learning every day as an SDR? Oh, I learned this new thing, this new tip, this new trick. I think there's three things to consider about creating brand slash content online. One is you can create content. The other is you can curate content. I'll circle back to that. And three, you can comment on content. So creating content, that's pretty easy. But Nick, I don't know where to start. Okay, cool. What I do is I open up a Word document, I click dictate, and I'll talk for 30 minutes. I'll put a timer on. So let me talk about being an SDR, right? Things I've learned. Or let me talk about 10 bound for 30 minutes. You print that up, and that's the key to the exercise. You got to print it up and go through the highlighter, and you'll start finding these interesting points, these interesting things. Maybe it's a case study about something that one of our 10 bound clients had. Maybe it's, you know what? Here's a great tech tip tool that I didn't realize that's free. I'm using a freemium version, which has helped with everything that I'm doing. And then, you know, you're going to have 30, 40, 50 unique ideas. But as you're going through that 30 minute list, those are going to double because, oh, I forgot this. I forgot this. I forgot this. And then suddenly you've got a hundred ideas that's six months worth of content from a 30 minute exercise. That's one curating content. So let's say I am an SDR and I'm selling into accountants. Okay. So my ICP is an accountant in an SMB, let's say. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set Google alerts for everything that pertains to them, right? What's happening in accounting for people hiring, oh, there's new compliance regulations, whatever it is, set those Google alerts. Then suddenly as those pop in, you can be like, Hey, David, just saw this article pop up. You know, I mentioned something when we talked last week, I thought this might be interesting, right? So now what you're doing is one, those assets can be used for one-on-one outreach, but also two, they can now be, Hey, accountants, here's an interesting thing that just happened that I learned and blah, 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 blah. So curating content is as valuable, being the new source is as valuable as being the people with the original ideas. Last one is commenting. And, you know, this is a great technique. So as part of my outbound strategy, so I'm emailing a person from, you know, ABC company, I'm also following their content. So I'm clicking the little bell icon. So every time that they post, what's going to happen is now they're going to pop up in my feed. I'm going to be the first person every single time that David posts for the next two weeks to comment, comment and like. People don't remember who likes, they remember who comments. If I do that for two weeks, Dave, and you've posted for two weeks in a row, and then I say, hey, David, love to pick your brain for 15 minutes about ABC, chances are you're going to say yes. No matter how big you are, everyone gets a little bit of imposter syndrome when you're posting. So if you become that safety net for people, that first yes, and hey, great post, here's what I thought about it. You know, that's a great way to get in front of people. So I think if you combine all three of those, you'll be unstoppable with a great outbound motion, but you can pick one of those three, but commenting of the three is going to be the most important over posting. Oh, wow. You think so? That's funny because there's a guy from Merrill Lynch who has like been commenting on my stuff for like three years and I recognize his face, you know, (laughs) LinkedIn. And I go, if I ever have any money. I'm going to call that guy. (laughs) So I know I can verify that this works. So Nick, you're onto something. It really does. And I think, (laughs) you know, especially going into 2023, David, we really need to focus on, yes, I need a killer outbound motion. I need to be using 10 bound. I need to use it religiously. But what are the other ways that I can supplement social selling skills that are going to layer on top of that? And I think if I'm a leader, that's what I'm thinking about, you know, 
Traditional outbound is, here's the way I look at it. Traditional outbound is playing defense and defense wins championships. But sometimes you need to score goals. And if you want to score goals, social selling is a nice way to, you know, shoot the top shelf where mama hides the cookies. This is, <laughs> I love that. And so take me through like a case study. Now you started at DemoStack, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you're newer to the tech space, if I'm not correct. You were doing the consulting. Yep. Now you're actually with this firm. So how are you thinking about, you know, this strategy for your own development? So everything I'm talking about are things that I implement. So I was a seller my whole life and I still identify as a seller, but now technically I'm on the marketing side. So I work with our sales team to kind of develop some of these social motions on top of, you know, what they're doing for their traditional outbound. But all these things that I'm talking about, I'm creating content, right? I'm curating content. So I have all these Google alerts set up for myself, which is one, sometimes just great content ideas where I can say, hey, here's a great article from Forbes that I read because of ABC. And then commenting. And I time block four 15-minute time blocks throughout the day. So I'm constantly popping into LinkedIn. What's trending today? Oh, you know what? There's a meme that's trending. Maybe we can use that tomorrow. Or, hey, there's 100 people I'm following, 200 people I'm following that I want to get in front of. But content works, and I'll tell you how I see it work. (laughs) I mentioned in Gong going through and watching yourself. Well, I said, I wonder if anyone's bringing me up, and I put my name in, right? Nick, that's all I put. And all these prospects, these buyers were coming on and saying, is that your CEO who's driving around the country, you know, talking to all these sales leaders? No, it's our guy, Nick. Or I had never heard about DemoStack before. But this guy, Nick, with the blue hat is constantly in my feed. So I need to understand what you do exactly because I'm in pre-sales. So there's no question that it works. It's just having a great plan, having a great strategy, you know. And I think we kind of get stuck sometimes as sellers of what marketing wants us to do and what marketing is telling us to do. But we can market as sellers ourselves, right? It's all via social. So you can take some of that control back. You know, I mean, you want to have simpatico, but that's one of the things I hear all the time is we're at odds. Marketing and sales are at odds. Okay, so take some marketing in-house and do that socially. Yeah, I mean, so many things. Before I forget, you mentioned driving around and it'd be kind of cool if you got one of those vans that you live in and just like swag it out with demo stack. That's and what I did. You drive it all over the United States. That's what I did. Sales leader. You did that. Okay. I did it in June. We did 30 days to the Western US. <laughs> so fun. We had Andy Paul, Marcus Chan, Jason Bay, Will Akin, Zoe Hartsfield. And it was a social oh equity play, right? Wow. That's what we did. It was a social equity play. So, you know, because I'm a trained interviewer, right? And what I'm trying to do is inverse charisma because I'm so curious when I'm interviewing people that. When you're really curious to bring out their most interesting and engaging self more than they can be on their own. So these people, because of the content I had put up, they wanted to get in front of a camera with me. And what I did was, Andy Paul, I would love to interview you. Who's interviewing who when you're talking to Andy Paul from the Sales Enablement Podcast, one of the best interviewers out there. But what I was saying is, I'd love to interview you for an hour, right? So I showed up with the demo stack Jeep, which was my Jeep, which we wrapped with all our partners. So we had Vidyard and Outreach and Alice. And what I did was we captured content for us, but then I also gifted content for Andy. So what I would do is I would stand off camera, I would lob him questions, and I'm there with the videographer, and then we have our editing team after. So I'm like, at the end, two weeks later, I'm like, hey, Andy, here's 10 videos for your own profile in front of these great scenes, nothing to do with demo stack. So that's what we did. So it was a social equity play, and it was very successful. 
Wow. Okay. I was like, that would be so cool, you know, and you did it already. And it's interesting. So, you know, as you're asking the next question, I'm gonna see if I can find a picture of the truck real quick. Okay. I want to see it. And you made me think it's like in the traditional sense, when there were more, it was more siloed, like marketing was one to many, you know, and then sales was like many to one. So it was like, you know, in marketing, you're talking to the whole market and trying to drive demand and it's like a bullhorn and then sales is more okay now i'm talking to you one-to-one and we're digging in on this but it seems like the lines have blurred a lot in this new environment that we live in they absolutely have i'll just show you here i know if you're not watching on video you can't see it david okay there it is yeah i see it so it's wrapped with scaled consulting and alice and vidyard and everyone we sponsored with Oh, that is cool. Wow. I always viewed myself. So my people on the cruise ship, I needed to be marketers. I needed them to create demand gen, lead gen. They were BDRs because now they're booking the meetings. And then I needed them to close. So they were full cycle sellers, but also they were marketers, right? So to me, it was always hand in hand. And I think what's interesting, I think my perspective coming from this pure B2C, people on vacation to now B2B, because everything is so process-driven in B2B because it was successful 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, three years. So everything has to be this way. And I think that's where the opportunity is, is I look at my sellers, anyone who's under me selling also needs to be a marketer in my mind. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting because usually SDRs roll up to sales and, you know, some very small percentage roll up to marketing and there's always issues on both sides because sales is just looking for the kind of the output that the team is providing. They're not as interested in all the sausage making, you know, that goes into getting a meeting set up. And then on the flip side, if you're in marketing, then it's like, well, wait a minute, I'm in sales development rep. Why am I reporting to marketing? You know, it's, it creates this kind of weirdness. So that was one of the most interesting things that I heard this year was same thing. All these companies were now moving their SDR teams to the marketing department. And I see the logic. I've heard very good arguments from both sides. But I think the reality is, is that I think you need to look at it as a revenue department. So, you know, lead gen and content are two different things within marketing, but it's all, you know, it's all part of revenue. And I think that's how I look at it. It is as revenue because I always look at myself as a full cycle seller. Right. If I went and became an AE for 10 bound tomorrow and you gave me an SDR, Dave, I wouldn't know what to do with that SDR. Right. Uh (laughs) I mean, I do, but I don't because I want to be the one handling the personalization of the emails and doing that research and really finding those cords I can pluck on, those strings I can pull to get me where I want to get with that prospect, which ultimately is getting in front of them, finding out if they're a right fit, and then if so, closing them. Oh my gosh. We started a little Slack group, a private Slack group called the pipeline and revenue, because that's pretty much what we're talking about, right? It's not sales, marketing, demand gen, all these other things. Are we driving pipeline and is it closing? And then what are we doing? Right? So I completely agree. And it'd be cool. Like I would love to see if you have like a sizzle reel or something from your world tour or if you have pictures or instagram or something set up where we can see it because i didn't first of all i can't believe i didn't know about this and second of all that is such a cool idea so if you go on linkedin and you look up the hashtag stories from the road okay 
there was a few in there. That's the best hashtag to use, but it was a lot of fun. And, you know, like I said, it wound up being a social equity play because now when I'm tagging Marcus Chan, I'm getting the lift of his 50,000 followers on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And is demo stack in a competitive market? I mean, everyone likes to say we're the only one doing this, right? But are there how do you stand out? Are there other companies doing this? Or There are other companies doing it, but they do a little bit different. What most companies in our space do is more kind of these stitched together marketing tours, whereas okay. we're actually cloning the front end. So what we're allowing you to do is basically democratize your demo, right? Allowing your whole team, anyone in the go-to-market space to spin up a demo or have persona-based demos or something where you're not worried about, oh, shoot, this didn't work because... Our SE team is making adjustments to the sandbox right now. But I think what's interesting is that there just wasn't a lot of tools, period, for pre-sellers, right? Up until a couple of years ago, there was no one, never mind kind of everyone in this new demo space, but it was a real problem. So our CEO, Jonathan, was building Trip Actions Liquid. He was the head of product for Trip Actions Liquid. And when he was building it, he wanted to show it off to clients. And they said, whoa, whoa, you can't show that to clients. Why not? Our client's private data is in there. He's like, what do we got to do? Well, we got to build a sandbox. We got to build a demo environment. What? I just need to show the product, right? So this was a real pain point of the versatility and the ability to quickly put something together or, hey, listen, my champion's coming to this meeting. Suddenly there's two no stakeholders who popped in last second. Let me adjust it real quick. Let me make some quick changes, right? So do that on the fly. Yeah. yeah. But I mentioned to you, I don't think we were recording yet, but I went through the gongs. I was looking for these reactions of these veteran pre-sellers, like people 20 years in who've been doing it the same way for 20 years, seeing the tech for the first time. So I was looking up the holy bleep and how the bleep did you do that? Because it was shock that, oh my God, like you, that would take me four hours. You did it in four minutes, right? So seeing like the real looks and reactions. So it was really interesting. And I think, you know, again, especially as we get into more like a PLG, a product like growth motion, you know, people want to see product quicker. So how do you get product into people's hands and how can maybe there's, you know, four demos throughout the sales process between, you know, demo stack and 10 bound. Maybe I'm going to show you a quick little taste, David. Now you're going to show up with two more people. Maybe we're going to tailor that demo to maybe now your CFO because they're going to have questions that are going to be different than maybe the questions you had. So. Yeah, it's always changing. And it's interesting. So, and just reeling back, when you look at the Jeep that you drove across the United States, each of those companies sort of has their, it's like a puzzle piece. And so you've got like consulting, video, a cadence, and you guys come in as the on the fly, you know, demo. And that's what we tried to do. Like one was what relationships do we have? Because we were standing this up real quick, but we were yeah. trying to build a sales stack right? Like all the things I need, right? And just yeah. as an example, and now, you know, we're getting into creative marketing, but Alice, the gifting platform Alice, was an amazing right. partner. So uh -huh. they gave us these cards to give to everyone. So what we did at the end was we did a video where we were showing like 10 people who were guests of ours getting the Alice card and then going through their phone and like, oh, I can get this or, oh, I might pick this. And that we had like a three minute sizzle reel at the end of it that just looked amazing because it was people's genuine reactions to seeing Alice and using Alice. And it was just great. So, you know, it was interesting. And then the other thing too was we rolled up and, you know, I'd walk into another thing we were doing was I was doing workshops for pre sellers. So we'd walk in a DocuSign in Seattle and they would ask me questions about, you know, the rest of the stack or someone from, you know, the sales development department would come in and say, hey, 
what are some of the tools that you guys are using or that are really cool or what's coming out that's like new and exciting, right? So it's such an exciting industry. We're going to make a big push this year to, you know, put some thought leadership out and develop. We have a sales tech directory on 10bound and it's just, you know, make it more useful for people and so that they can learn about this and offer sort of a beacon of light. So it's just a fun, exciting industry to be in. And you, Nick, you really are, you know, at an intersection of so many different things. We should definitely do this again because anytime you really are on the sort of the bleeding edge of combining B2C and B2B and, you know, your sales experience with marketing and broadcasting. So there's like a bunch of convergence happening here with you and I think you're sort of the future of where this is going. And if people are still stuck in their kind of old school methodologies from 20 years ago in B2B, they're going to be left behind. So they're going to be. And I will always say, look, there's a reason those processes work. And I'm not telling you to avoid them or to completely change what you do. But I think there's ways to have an honest evaluation of where your time is going. And what are these small little time blocks that I can fit in throughout the week to bring extra value to an audience? I'll tell you this, when I built, so sales pitching was my consultancy because I came out of you know, B2C. So we were pitching, we weren't doing discovery. Now it's a terrible name, but uh, you know, sales pitching was, you know, where I was living and everything that came in was via content. I never picked up a phone. I never sent an email out. There was no sequences because I didn't know them because I didn't know two years ago what an SDR was. I didn't know what product market fit meant. I could tell you the nautical miles between Ocho Rios, Jamaica and Grand Cayman, but I couldn't tell you those things. So (laughs) Amazing. Well, I mean, Inbound leads, we love inbound leads, man. (laughs) Those are the best. So if you can produce more of those, everyone's going to love you. If you never have to pick up the phone and make an outbound call. And I'll tell you this too, when it's inbound and it's come in because they've been following your content, they're excited to see you. They're like, it's you. It's you. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. And then if you're in person at Saster, at Inbound, at, you know, Dreamforce, they're like, it's you. Like they're at one point at Saster, there was a line of people that wanted to talk to me and get in front of a camera with me. Oh, nice. All right. Dude, you were at Saster? I was at Saster. I don't know how we didn't meet, buddy. How did I not meet you? I I, I missed the tour. I didn't see you at Saster. I'm well, waiting. You're busy I'm one of building those dinosaurs a company. 20 years ago. Yeah. No, you're building a company, David. You're building a company and you're busy, but I'm the guy who's out there creating awareness for demo stacks. So nice. Well, you did, man. Okay. So let's do this again. Anytime. Nick, thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom with the group. That was great. And, you know, we'll have you on again for sure. Appreciate you, pal. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.